we last week kicked off um, kind of the beginning of our year. I know the first sermon of the year, um, we did some business with God. Kind of saying, let's let the past in the past. Let's launch into God's preferred future. When I said, shared that with you two weeks ago, it was very strategic at that time and at this time in the development of our church. I really believe God has a phenomenal future for us. One that, that when you engage into it, we, you will see things, we will see things that you never imagined before. Because that's God's plan. God loves to do the impossible. You know, He splits seas. You know, He raises dead people after four days when they should, when they should be stinking. He loves to do things that are crazy. He talks through bushes that are on fire. You know, He doesn't just do things just normal. You know, He does things it, it, miraculously. And He has a miraculous future in store for His church. But we had to leave some things behind and move into this preferred future. And so for the six weeks after that sermon, this is week two of that six weeks, I want to share with you what, what I really believe is God's, a picture of God's preferred future. A picture of, of the things He wants to invest our energies into. So we've kicked off 2013 by talking about um, what our mission should be all about. What has God called us as a church to be about? What are we to do? Because if we know what we're to do and then we do that... Then God will work through us to bless it. We don't invent what we're to do. God shows us what to do and we join Him in His activity. So we're trying to say, what is God's activity? What has historically been His activity for His church? Because here's one of the realities. Oftentimes throughout church history, churches and, and whole, whole nations um, of people who call themselves Christians get involved in all kinds of things that aren't part of God's plan. They're not necessarily bad things, but they're not part of what God has really called His church to do. And so they get all they get narrowly, narrowly focused on just one part of God's plan. And as they do that, they miss the, the dramatic blessings of God because they're not engaged in what God says His church should be engaged in. So we've been looking at what's God called us to do as a church, which is really what you see called the church to do. And last week we looked at the first part of that. We looked at, the, um, at what we are to be before we looked at what we are to do, because that's always the starting place. As a matter of fact, the reason that, we've, that, that I'm presenting it that way is because I think it's so easy for us as people to always focus on what I have to do. And, and they, they, um, we focus on what we have to do, but we miss the part of the inside first. And so we, God always starts on the inside. He starts on, on the character. He starts on, on who we are, on our transformation on the inside. As a matter of fact, you can do all kinds of religious stuff, and if you're not right on the inside, it's just being a Pharisee, right? Does that make sense? We talked about being a whitewashed tomb. You can look good on the outside, even do all kinds of religious stuff. But if you're not transforming the inside, it doesn't do any good. So we've defined what we are to be, what's supposed to come on the, out of the inside, what we are as, as a certain way. We said last week, and we've talked about this for the last couple of years, um, but never really said, now this is what we want to get your arms around. We've just thrown it out there as seed. Okay, and we've said this, what are we supposed to be? We are Portview Church, people who care. A little more enthusiasm. Portview Church, people who care. We're people who care. That that's on the inside, that caring defines. We're to love God with all our heart and love our neighbor with all our heart. And the way to express that love, so it's more than just feelings, it's about caring. Caring is love put to action. And so on the inside, we're compelled to do things. So, we're so transformed, we're compelled on the inside to do what God wants us to do. So the motto that, that we want to rally around as a church, because it's the starting point, is that Portview Church, we are people who care. 
And you're going to hear me say all the time, from now until I'm dead, or God you know, does something else with all of us, I'm not sure, raptures us or whatever, um, that that's who we are. That the reason we do what we do is we're Portview Church, and you're going to say things to me in the future. Well, what about this? And I'll say, what do you think? What are we? You know, I know, I know, we're people who care. You know? Because I do it to me. I have to look in the mirror and I go, Mark, are you a person who cares or not? And it's the, it's the motivation, it's the driving force of the core of who we are. So we're Portview Church, we're people who care. And our hope is that when people in this community talk about us, and guess what, they, I want them to talk about us. If we're invisible on the hill, what's the point of being here? Right? We're supposed to be a light on a hill. And the light we're shining is supposed to be something positive. They shouldn't look at the light on the hill and go, what a bunch of lunatics. They should look at the light on the hill and say, you know what, I think about those people, I think that they care. That when I engage with them in the community, that their hearts are right. You know what, if you go with me and our church staff, Dave, you saw us last week here, you go the once a month, we go to Culver's. I don't know, you probably didn't know us when we come in. The ladies behind the counter fight on who gets to wait on us. See, the honest truth. They come up to us while we're seated. They always bring Pastor Paul extra ice cream. They rat, Pastor Paul was late last time, so they ratted me out and said, he said that I have the most unhealthy thing. They said, no, Pastor Mark had something worse than you. They come to our chairs when, they're, when the owners are there. They bring the owners or the managers to our table to introduce them to us. Don't they? The, they why? Because they say those people care. They recognize that we care. I ran into one of them in Walmart the other day. They're, she's like standing there beaming. She's like, I'm here. And I'm thinking, and, and honest truth, I'm thinking, how do I know you? I know you, but I don't know how I know you. You know? And I'm thinking, I'm like being real friendly. And after I walked away, I went, she's from Culver's. Because she's standing there. Oh, I'm here. You know, come to, and she wasn't, she was standing with some other people. But she was kind of like saying, come to my line. They do. They I walked in last, last Tuesday and I said, who gets us today? You know, and I'm, I'm a very quiet person. You know that. Who gets us today? And they're like, I get you. And Susie was the waitress, that got the, the server who got us last time. So they fight. But the, the other gal came over and helped us. They said, we have coupons today. They told us. And then the other one, I can't remember her name, Susie and the one, Carrie or something. It's a name, something like that. She started tearing out the coupons for us. Well, you ordered that and she's tearing out coupons. They're fighting over serving us. Why? Because when we walk in there, we are as kind and friendly as can be. We joke with them. We play with them. We, we celebrate them. We thank them. And they go, Port New Church, you're people who care. When people in the community think about us, I hope what they say is they care. Their hearts are right. They're filled with the compassion of God that they really do care. It's not just a slogan. That it's, it's who we are on the inside. You know, I hope, um, our hope is that we could all wear, I talked about this last week, we could all wear a t-shirt, and someday we'll get t-shirts printed up with our logo on it, Port through Church, people who care. That we could all wear those and not one of us would be accused of false advertising. That we'd wear that and we'd say, you know what? That's honest advertising. You people really do care. That that's what we want people to say upon us, about us. Now, upon that foundation of caring... We want to then engage in what God wants us to do. We first, we what? We be. Being before doing. We be who we are at the core, people who care. And then as people who care, we engage in what God is engaging in. We don't invent our own thing. God has a plan and a purpose for His church. We find, we see from His word, what's His plan and His purpose, and we engage in what God wants us to engage in. We don't invent our own thing. 
And so it's pretty clear from Scripture what God wants us to do as a church. And last, year, last week I showed you a diagram, and it's up here right now, a diagram that helps us understand what things we are to be doing as a church. You remember, I called them last week, I come up with a different name, but I called them Portview Pete last week. You know, um, because I didn't know what else to call them, but, but um, Portview Pete and somebody found us out. And I shouldn't probably say this, but somebody came up to me later and said, isn't it the bathroom guy? I said, actually, it is the bathroom guy. You know the ladies' bathroom and the men's bathroom? That's the bathroom guy. Because we worked with an artist forever to try to figure out how to do it, and I finally said to the artist, just use the bathroom guy. She's like, what? The bathroom guy. That will communicate what we want. And so somebody after church, the reason I'm letting the kid out of bag is maybe we'll call him bathroom guy. I'm not sure. But, um, but somebody last week after church said, isn't it the bathroom guy? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you found us out. You know, um, and uh, so anyways, this diagram shows us what we are to do. It helps us understand the things that God says His church should be about doing. And we've, we've illustrated it in a way, in such a simple way, that every single one of you can look at this and figure out what has God called His church to do. It's, it's incredibly self-explanatory, saying this is what we are to engage in. This is what God is doing, and we're to join God in what He's doing. The, it's made up of five pieces. That, 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 I shouldn't call him bathroom guy, right? Portview Pete for today, until we come up with a better name. Portview Pete has five pieces that represent the five purposes that God means for His church to accomplish. The five activities that the church is to engage in according to God. Now, I gave you homework last week. How many of you, the dog ate your homework? I gave you homework last week. I said after church, go home, take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2, start in verse 42, and read about the early church, and see if you see these five things. Because last week we talked about all five real briefly. And see what that you see is that God reveals in Acts 2 is a very clear place, but throughout the New Testament, He says, this is what my church is to be engaged in. These five things, these five activities, these five purposes. That we should be engaged in worshiping God with our lives. That's the head. The top, the priority. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. We should be engaged in connecting authentically with people in God's family. That's one of the arms. Arms are for hugging, we said. We should be engaged in influencing seekers to find Jesus. And if some of you get nervous that I use the word seeker, don't. We're influencing seekers. You want to you be freed up, and I, I shouldn't jump, jump on ahead a couple weeks in preaching, but you want to be freed up in your evangelism. You know, we all understand we should reach lost people. If you're spending your time with people who say they hate God and they want nothing to do with it, don't spend, that's not the person to spend the bulk of your time ministering to evangelistically. Because they're not ready yet. You're trying to pick unripe fruit. No one comes to the Father unless the, uh, the Son, unless the Father draws him. Unless they're having some sense of the Father drawing them. That's not where God's activity is about. When you see God actively working in somebody, seize on the moment. We got a phone call this week of, from somebody from the church who called up all excited, talked to Suzanne and said, It worked! I saw God working in somebody's life and all of a sudden a light bulb went on and I said, I could have joined God in what He's doing right now. And she got to share the whole, the whole uh, plan of salvation, pray with a person. You know, it was awesome. So understand we gotta, we got to work where God is working. So we, we influence seekers. People who are honestly saying, I want to know more about God. You know, so we, we influence them. We mentor people towards Christ-like living. One of the things God calls to do, disciple people. 
and then we serve passionately with the love of God. Those are the five things God shows in the Scripture that the church, that He wants the church to involve, that He is engaged in. And He tells us to join Him in those things. And we made this diagram look like a body on purpose so that we can use it to evaluate if our church body is engaging in these areas. Jesus is the one who called the church the body, right? He's the one who called it. Not me, we didn't make it up. He said it's the body. And so we can look at this as a church, and we say, are these five things, are we putting energy into these? Are we doing well, or where are we, where are we not doing well? It's an evaluation tool. But also, it's an evaluation tool for every one of us as an individual. We can look to see in the mirror of our life, and say, you know what, does this image look like who I'm becoming in Christ? You know, um, knowing that to be complete and mature, and that's the goal as maturity as Christians, to be mature that each person needs to be growing and functioning in each of these areas. Otherwise you're like a body without a head or an arm or a leg. And instead of saying two out of three ain't bad, I'll say four out of five is bad. Having four, remember we said, you know, not having one of your arms or not having one of your legs, you can still function in life. And you know what? If, you, if people function with disabilities and we celebrate their overcoming, but God designed us to have two arms and two legs and a head. And so this is the way, we're, that this is the way we function fully, is when these things are going in our lives and as a church corporately. So now, starting today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at each of these in more detail. And so for today, because we care, the foundation, because we care, we're going to start at the top and work our way down. Because we care, we worship God with our lives. Because we care, we're going to focus on this one. And every week this is going to look a little bit different, where one of the five will be highlighted. Because we care, we worship God. Friends, we're going to spend six weeks trying to just figure this guy out. Because my hope is at the end of six weeks... Something will be ingrained in us that us as a church, we understand, here's who we're supposed to be and here's what we're supposed to do. And we're all running on the same track. We're all shooting for the same target. You know, and as we do that, God will flow through us because we're joining Him in His activity and His blessings will be abundant as we do this. So the top, we start at the top. The first outflow of being people who care is this. Because we care, we worship. Because we care, we worship God. We worship the one who saved and changed us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Friends, this is at the top. It's the head. It's our first priority. It being a group of people who come together, we live our lives as people of worship. See, as a church and as individuals, we are committed to worshiping and exalting the Lord. We worship, and you know, I want you to understand what that really talks about today. We worship. We show our love for His worthiness. That's what worship is about. We're showing love for His worthiness. The very word worship comes from this idea of worth-ship. You get that? Worship is, is from the word worth-ship. That we express how worth I know it's not a real word, but how worthy he is. That's what worship is all about. We are expressing how worthy he is. How he is to be, how, how we express how valuable the Lord is. How priceless the Lord is. Because we care, he's changed us on the inside. And he changed what we care about. Because we care, we worship God. Now, I want to talk about worship today. I want to hope you walk out of here at the end of the day with a different understanding of worship than you walked in here with today. Because I think worship is one of the things that we misunderstand in the church. We think worship is singing songs. No, it's not. can't be part of it. 
But no, it's not. It's so much bigger. I want you to understand something. There's a foundation about worship first. Worship is not uniquely Christian. You what? Worship's not Christian. Worship is just human. Worshiping is something because we're created in the image of God that we worship. Dogs don't worship. Cats don't worship. Fish don't worship. People worship. All humans worship. It's part of who God made us to be. Some worship the earth and the trees and the lakes and the stars. You know, for years, ten years, Suzanne and I, we planted and pastored a church in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And one of the people groups we ministered among were the Native Americans. And you know what? They openly worship the Mother Earth. They openly worship the lake. They talk about the spirits of the lake and the spirits of the trees and the spirits of the water, uh, of, the, of the land. They openly worship. It's, it's part of their very expressive part of their life is to worship nature. So some people worship the creation. Some people worship religious people or, or belief systems. When, when we were missionaries in Cambodia, we lived among millions of people who worshipped Buddha and more cl- clearly they really worshipped spirits. Um, that they, they worshipped evil spirits and they worshipped Buddha and their whole lives revolved around this system of worshipping Buddha and appeasing spirits. You know, many in the world today worship Allah and his prophet Muhammad. You know, we call it Islam. The second biggest religion in the world. Christianity's largest. Islam is number two. People worship. Billions and billions of people worship. All people worship. Even In fact, even those people who say that there's nothing divine, there's, all, there's a whole crowd out there who say, primarily in the Western world, not in the rest of the world, but in the Western world, they'll say there's nothing divine. They, they still worship. You know what? They worship money. They worship recreation, they worship celebrity, and they worship, maybe most of all, they worship self. They ascribe great worth to these things. And that's what worship is. So it's human. But now for us. For those of us who have come to experience the forgiveness of our sins, and have come to experience eternal life through Jesus, we worship the one who has changed us from the inside out. We direct our worship to where it really belongs, where the right created order is that our worship really belongs being directed to the Lord. So at Portview, when we think about what we are to do as a church, the first thing we think about is we do what Jesus told us to do. We worship. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said this, He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. Jesus commands us to love God. He is to be first place in our lives. Now get this, because here's what you need to understand today. If you have a very simplistic view of worship, you think it's singing songs. Our expression of that love is worship. Jesus commands us to love the Lord our God in first place. It's the great and foremost commandment. Our expression of love is what worship is. And Scripture gives us all kinds of forms that that worship can be expressed through. He says all kinds of ways. And the the most common that we think about is that we worship through what? Singing. Matter of fact, we place really high value on this. So much so that we call the song leader 
The what? The worship leader. But it's only one expression of worship. And just for your knowledge, for a little FYI here, a little side note, the corporate worship that we experience through singing will only be as good and as rich as your individual worship lives are privately. You know, if a church has really great worship, it's not because of a worship team. It's because they have great worshipers in the congregation. So a person walks into church and says, I don't like their worship. You know why? It's because of the congregation, not the worship leader. The worship leader and the worship team cannot make people worship. It's an expression of worship of their own life. They can lead you in singing songs, but they can't make you worship. And so one of the most common expressions that we think of of worship is singing. But worship, according to scriptures, can also be expressed through many other ways. The Bible says we worship through kneeling. The Bible says we worship through music. It says we worship through clapping. Some of you, when you're like me, when I was raised a Lutheran, you come into a church, they clap their hands, you're like, what a bunch of lunatics. But the Bible says part of worship is clapping your hands. The Bible says that shouting is worship. It says lift it, and you know what, and watch the playoff games today. If you don't think shouting is worship. Remember, all people worship. They don't all worship the right thing. So there's going to be millions and millions of people today worshiping their real God. And I, I'm, I watch football. But you know what? They're worshiping their real God. They're shouting in worship to their team. It's worship. The Bible says lifting of holy hands. Lifting up your hands is worship. Some of you freak out when you see people lifting up their hands in church. The Bible is the one who says we lift up our hands in worship. That it's an expression of worship. The Bible also says this. It says silence is worship. You know what? Let me encourage us as a congregation, a little, a little step forward, a little maturity step right here this morning. Can you hear me? When we have a moment of silence in worship, don't feel compelled to have to fill that with a quote-unquote word, a prophetic word. I've been trying to develop a culture in the church where we can have silence. Prophetic words are wonderful in the right, and the Bible says don't despise prophetic utterances. And we don't despise them, we encourage them when they're really of God. But there's times that I know we're supposed to have silence and I'm nervous to have silence because I'm quite sure somebody's going to break the silence and I'm just convinced that's not what God wants. And I'll look at my wife and she's like, I can read her mind. We've been together for a few years. And she's like, I want to be silent. But you know what? I'm nervous about being silent because I don't know if something might might disturb what God's trying to create right now. There's times when we're supposed to just be silent. That it's a form of scripture saying Psalm 62.1. It's a form of worship. Silence can be worship. You know what? The Bible also says that confession is worship. We confess our sins. It's worship, the Bible says, Psalm 32.5. The Bible says this, and I refer to this often, that giving of tithes and offerings is worship. It teaches that in Exodus 35. And the Bible also says that communion is worship. When we celebrate communion, that's why I call it celebrating communion. The Lord's Supper. It's a form of worship. All of these are ways that we can express our love towards God. And that's what worship is. Worship is ways we express our worship to God. So those are ways that we worship. You get what I'm saying here today? If you just think worship is singing songs, it's so much broader than that. Now today is what I want to do. That's kind of what we think about a worship. Those are the expressions. But today what I want to do is I want to go a little bit further in our understanding um, and expression of worship as a church because this will unlock 
This will unlock our, God's ability to really flow through us. I believe this is why it's the top. If we become a worshiping lifestyle church, it will unlock God, it will free God up to, to use us more fully. So I want us to go a little bit further in our understanding and expression of worship today. I don't want us to settle for forms. I don't want you to think that worship, oh, I can't wait to worship on Sunday morning. That's an expression of it. But I don't want you to settle for forms of worship and miss the substance. And that so often happens in, the, in Christianity. So for the rest of our time together today, I want to talk about what is needed so that we can live lifestyles of worship. That we can live a lifestyle of worship. Really, I want to give you uh, three principles today that help me try to live a lifestyle of worship instead of just settling for forms of worship. And I want you to understand something. I have nowhere near arrived at what I'm talking about today. These are principles God has inspired in my life or revealed maybe in my life to help me try to live a lifestyle of worship. And most of these things um, are things that I've learned by doing it wrong so that God can show me how to do it right. And that's just the way we learn, isn't it? But maybe you can learn from some of the things I've done wrong and learned how to do right to keep you from having to run around the same circle, the same mountain a couple thousand times in your life. So some principles that God has taught me about trying to live a lifestyle of worship, not settling for a form of worship, but that my life and my very life is an expression of worship to the Lord. So principle number one is this. Realize that all we do is to be worship. Realize that all you do is to be worship. We tend to look at worship as something that we do at certain times in certain places. You know, I worship at church on Sunday morning by singing songs. Or I worship in the morning while I'm reading my scriptures and praying. But then we consider everything else in our lives to be something other than worship. We can title it whatever you want, label it whatever you want, but we consider it something other than worship. But friends, when we understand what God has really done inside of our lives, when we understand that before we met Christ... We were totally lost and completely unable to save ourselves. But then due to the unimaginable love and grace of God, He rescued us. And He purchased us. And He gave us eternal life. And now I realize all I am and all I do and all I have is only because of Him. Then I realize that everything is an expression of love back to Him. When I really recognize that nothing I have, nothing I do is because of me. It's all a gift. So I worship Him because I have another day to live. That He's given me the air in my lungs to breathe. And I worship Him through the job that I work. The Bible says work hardly as unto the Lord, as an expression unto the Lord. And I worship Him as... I get to influence my family and my friends for Him. And I worship Him as I gratefully eat lunch today. And I worship Him as I serve coffee in the cafe to people before church. They're acts of worship. These are all gifts He gives to us by giving us life. He's given us the very breath we breathe and He's given us the very spiritual life that we have as a child of God. Everything is from Him, and so everything is given back to Him as worship. Worship arises, friends, get this. Worship arises when we see our life as a gift given by God, 
So we give back to Him what is most valuable to us, our very lives, as an offering of love back to Him. And that's what worship is. That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, was trying to teach us in Romans chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. It's very interesting. Suzanne, when we were worshiping, I, Suzanne quoted Romans 12, 1 twice, and I whispered over to Sam, I go, she doesn't know it, but that's the main, the main heart of my sermon today. And so she sat down and I said, hey, I'm going to talk about Romans 12.1 today. Now you think we schedule that stuff or work it out. We don't in advance. The Apostle Paul is trying to teach us about worship in Romans 12.1. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Giving all of ourselves to God is worship. He says, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's giving your all back to God. He says, that's spiritual service of worship. Giving all of ourselves to God is worship. Here's what you need to understand, and I need to understand and embrace. There is no compartmentalization in the Christian walk. There is no sacred and secular divisions in our lives. There's not, that's worship and that's not worship. I worship at church. This is what we think. I worship at church, but I work at work. No. I worship at church and I worship at work. With everything I am and everything I do, we recognize that all we do and all we are are expressions of worship to God. And we need to ask ourselves in a day like today, when we think about this, when we talk about this, am I happy with the expressions that I'm giving of worship? And maybe the more important question is this. Is God blessed by the expressions of worship I give? Not here, but there. Because there's no secular and sacred. There's no compartmentalization. This is worship and that is not. No, everything is a spiritual service of worship. All that I do, I crawl on that altar again as a living sacrifice every day. Now everything is to be an act of worship. And friends, understand, when we embrace this, we embrace this idea that everything is to be worship, it causes us to walk through our days differently than we normally do. Now I am restrained from doing things that are inconsistent with the life that He died to give me. Because I go, that's not worship. Or it's not worshiping the way I want to worship. And I am compelled to do things that I, that I know give Him honor through my life. That's living, a worship, that's living a life of worship. Because all my life is lived as an offering then unto Him. So we live lives of worship when we realize all we do is worship towards Jesus. That's the foundation for the life of worship. That's the first principle to live by in order to live a a worship lifestyle. And that's kind of the foundation, that's kind of the meat of the whole thing. But there's some other principles that God has taught me that that I need to to live it, to feel it, and and to maintain a lifestyle of worship. That's the theological foundational part of it. I need to grasp that. If you don't grasp that, everything else is empty. So you need to grasp this first thing. All that we do is worship, is to be worship. But then the next principle is this. The next one, and this is going to seem a lot simpler, but it's it's just as profound. And it's this. To live a lifestyle of worship, you need to take time to smell the roses. Take time to smell the roses. Have you ever taken a slow walk through the woods? Or maybe a slow walk on the beach alone? And taking the time to really look at what God has created. Maybe on a prayer walk or maybe on a prayer retreat. The reason I need prayer silent retreats, the reason I've gone on them for 20 years, that I need them, is because it causes me to slow down. 
It causes me to, 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 you know, back up the bus and stop running at breakneck speed. You know, you guys see me flying around here 100 miles an hour, and I, that's me trying to be slow. Okay? That's me putting it in, in low gear. You know, my poor family, they're always exhausted just walking with me because I'm always running just about. It's just, that's just the life I live. And so these times, those times cause me to slow down. To slow down, look around, and marvel at a sunset. To take slow down and marvel at a night sky filled with stars. If you've ever done that, where you've taken the time to really slow down and look, you've probably experienced what I have experienced. You marvel at the beauty and you marvel at the complexity of the simplest things. You know what? You're struck by how beautiful and complex a rose is. So I said, take time to smell the roses. And you ask yourself this question, why would God make it smell so good? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why would God, when He created the world, you don't, people who don't believe in a Creator, why would a rose smell so beautiful? And why would it look so beautiful and so complex? When you slow down and look at what's around you, you'll be amazed and how clearly you see God's fingerprints. And you're going to discover something that's a key to a lifestyle of worship. That when you see the handiwork of God, then you are compelled to express it. And that expression is worship. See, recognizing God's genius, and recognizing His creativity, and recognizing His, His intervention into your day-to-day life, causes you to worship Him. Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. That's why living a frantic, overly busy lifestyle will rob you of your ability to feel like you want to worship. An overly, hectically busy lifestyle that's not taking time to smell the roses, you will never feel like you want to worship. Being too busy robs you of the opportunities to really look around you and see God's fingerprints that are really all around you on the window panes of your world. And without seeing these things, you won't be compelled to worship. And when we talk about worship, all you will think about is singing songs or saying prayers with no compulsion to do it. I challenge you. If you want to feel like worshiping, then slow down. And this is what I say to us in our workaday world. And understand this. A friend of mine who's a very successful businessman, incredibly busy, runs, runs multiple businesses and pastors a church. One day I called him for something and I, and I said, I'm sorry for interrupting you. I know how busy you are. And he said, Mark, you started with 24 hours today. And so did I. We all choose how we spend our 24 hours. No matter who we are, we all have the same 24 hours. We all make choices, and I choose to want to talk to you right now. Friends, we need to make some really hard choices to eliminate some activities and make room for taking time to look at God's handiwork. And some of the decisions are really easy. You know, there's an off button on your remote. Did you know that? There is an off button on your remote. Take time to look for God's handiwork in your family. Look at what God's accomplished. Look what God is doing, and you're going to see His fingerprints on the window panes of your family. Look around the world and see His, His handiwork 
His, his creation, the creation for me is the one that grips me when I slow down. Really, I look at a rose and I smell it and I go, only God. Only, there, there has to be a God. Because this couldn't happen on its own. We look at that. We look at, the, look at the trials of your life. The things that often cause you to say, where is God? Really look at them slowly and you know what you see? That God was in them. And He made you better because of them. And your life is richer because you went through them. And you say, God, thank you for the trial. His fingerprints all over the window panes of your life. Friends, God's fingerprints are everywhere. But you have to slow down and look for them. Be still and know that He is God. Then you'll be compelled to worship Him. That's one of the things I have to do as a guy who's really type A and really going 100 miles an hour. You might not be as, you know, as me, you know. You like that? But, you know what? You still fill your lives with all kinds of things that aren't slowing down and smelling the roses. And you miss God's fingerprints on the window panes of your, of your world. And then you don't have a compulsion to worship. Then it's just activity. It's just religious duty. And you go, well, I've got to go to church and sing songs. Or, or all worship to you is just singing songs on Sunday morning. And so what you know, say? You get done and somebody says, I was church. Well, the worship service wasn't very good. I didn't like the songs. If you ever say that, it's never a comment about them. It's always a comment about you. If you criticize this, it's never a criticism of this. It's always a criticism of your spiritual walk. It shows that there's something missing in you when you can criticize this. Because worship styles mean nothing. When you see the fingerprints of God in the window panes of your life, you are compelled to worship. And if it's singing, How Great Thou Art, or it's listening to some kind of music that I don't really like styles, and I'm like, jeepers, that's annoying. But I really listen to the words, I go, wow, they're really worshiping God. I might not want to listen to that as my worship stuff. But you know what? You criticize it. You're criticizing people who are trying to worship. And it's showing you're not engaged, that you're just religious. Religion will kill you. Worship in real life in God gives you the whole reason for wanting to live. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying, the difference? So take time to smell the roses is a second principle that we need to live lifestyles of worship. i got one more to share with you today. This will help you to, to live a lifestyle of worship. And for me, this has been um, revolutionary in helping me maintain a lifestyle of worship. Because, you know, you get there. And theirs always should be higher and higher, but you kind of get there where you want to be, but then you go down here because of the stuff of the world. And you don't end up, you're not, all of a sudden you realize you're not where you want to be. And, and something that helps you to maintain that is this. Overcome oppression with praise. Overcome oppression with praise. Now, I want to share something with you that's just about spiritual warfare. Some of you are going to negate this the second it comes out of my mouth, because if you can't see it, feel it, taste it, you know, um, handle it, you're going to just say, ah, oh, it's not for me, especially all of you men. But the, what I should have done first, before I said this, I should have taken an electrical cord, shoved it in that outlet right there, brought it up here, cut the end off, bared the wires, and said, whoever doesn't believe something they can't see, come here. <laughs> Bam! I'll stick it, you know, right in your hand. And woo! You feel electricity. You don't see it. So hear me on this one. Overcome oppression with praise. Satan, who's real and active, does not want you to walk through life with a worship lifestyle. 
The reason he does not want you to walk through life of the worship lifestyle is because you are way too dangerous to his kim and his kingdom. When you live a lifestyle of worship, it opens the door for God to do the miraculous in your life. He wants you to walk, walk around defeated and grumbling and complaining and looking at all the past. That's why we forget what lies behind and we reach forward to what lies ahead. For us to walk in our preferred future as a church and for you to walk in your preferred future as a person, if you're bound by the junk of the past, it'll never happen. All that baggage will keep you down. And Satan goes, just live like that. I don't care if you go to heaven, but you're not hurting my kingdom at all. Because he has a kingdom too. So Satan does not want you to walk through life with a worship lifestyle because you are dangerous to him. So you, he does something, and this is not my invention, this is Scripture's teaching. He dispatches spirits to assault you, to bring you down. And the way he primarily does it to a person who's a child of God is he does it to remind you of your failures, to remind you of your problems, to remind you of all your difficulties, to remind you of all things that haven't turned out the way you hoped they would have turned out all in an attempt to cause you to focus on the wrong things and to be depressed and to be negative. And I know some of you think that's nonsense, but Scripture says it's true. Ephesians chapter 6 says, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle... We don't, your problem is never a person. Satan influences people. Ultimate problem is never a person. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, Ephesians says, but we, but we wrestle with rulers and powers and forces of darkness in heavenly places. We worship with spirits. And one of the types of spirits that assaults us is a spirit of heaviness. It's a spirit of depression. And the Holy Spirit knows that. And he inspired Isaiah the prophet thousands of years ago about how we should deal with this spiritual onslaught. He said in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3, Put on, and put on is inferred, put on a garment of praise, for a spirit of heaviness. Put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. We take responsibility for making the change, the transaction. Satan assaults with the spirit of heaviness. We understand it's a real spiritual attack and we put on a garment of praise in order for the spirit of heaviness to leave. It's spiritual warfare. We praise we, put, we, we worship, we sing, we, we celebrate God's goodness with our being as a weapon against the attack that brings us into depression and brings us under heaviness. And some of you need to really hear me today because you walk under a spiritual cloud of heaviness. And the way you are to defeat that is by a worship lifestyle. Choose to worship rather than complain. Anybody can complain. God's children aren't supposed to. Choose to worship. Bible says you got problems. It says pray and then give thanks in Philippians 4. Doesn't say comp- complain and gossip and criticize and do all the negative stuff. The devil, when you do that, going, I got another one. Useless. He looks at, I got another one. They're rendered useless to God's kingdom. Keep them complaining. That's what he wants you to do. Keep you focusing on the, the wrong and the problems and the, and the negative. Friends, you want to win the battle with, the, with heaviness. Choose to worship rather than complaining and criticizing. Choose to sing when you feel down. Choose when you, you say, but you don't know what it's like. No, you don't know what it's like. You don't know any, there's not a person in here who probably understands what it's like to wrestle more with feeling down than this guy right here. I've wrestled with depression my entire life. You have no idea. And I've learned over the years the way you beat it. My poor wife's had to put up with it. You see me here, she sees me here. For 25 years. And she's like, encourager, come on. 
Mark, it's not that bad. But you know what I've learned? I don't do this anymore. Because a lifestyle of praise, a lifestyle of worship. You choose to worship rather than to complain. You choose to sing when you feel down. And it's not just sing, not sing, two out of three ain't bad. You choose to sing how great thou art. Worse singing is simply putting prayer to music. You, pr- you sing your prayers or you say them out loud when you feel down. And you ask God to drive away from you those evil spirits of heaviness. And you celebrate His goodness through worship. And you actually feel it lift. And you understand it wasn't just, it's not chemical. It's not just biological. I'm not saying those things aren't true. But most of the time it's spiritual. And God lifts you up to heavenly places. And friends, I have found that, that um, doing this, that overcoming oppression with praise, is a vital component to maintaining a worship lifestyle. So I've got to do it and redo it. And you know what? A lot of times you don't feel like it. And you carry a burden of everything around and you just don't feel like it. But you say, God, but it's worship warfare. And you begin to just, just declare truth. Declare his praises. You stick your earbuds in and you begin to sing even though you don't feel like it at all. And all of a sudden, in, in an instant, the battle is won. You just feel it break. And that heavy spirit says, I don't have any, I don't have any room here anymore. And you know what? After years of doing it, you know what happens? It doesn't even come the same way. Because I think Satan says, Oh, I waste our time. Let's go after that person instead. That's how, we, that's how we maintain a worship lifestyle. We need to end. Because I want to end through worship. Because we care, we worship God. That's priority one at Portview. And I want to end today by giving you an opportunity to just express our love by worshiping through a biblical expression of worship, which is singing. It's an expression of love. And so as a worship team comes, I want to invite you just to stand with me this morning. This is officially our conclusion. They're going to sing some worship songs, lead us in prayer, or lead us in worship. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And then you just spend some time worshiping God this morning.